Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Glad you're here. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm the pastor. Good to see all your smiling faces this morning. Um, today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to look at some scriptures that I know you've heard before. Uh, but before we, before we get there, uh, I want to I start with, with this. Um, how many of you have ever experienced something like this? where you thought something was going to be one way and then you get into it only to find out it's completely different. Anybody ever had their expectations like sort of like turned upside down? You, you thought it was going to be one thing and then you find out, well, no, in fact, it's actually uh, the opposite. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that a little bit this week, especially as we, we come to our passage. Uh, the title of today's message is Not Your Father's Messiah. Not your father's Messiah. And, and I think before we get to the end of this, you'll see why. But I just want to remind you of a few things that I was thinking about this week that I thought was going to be one way, but ended up being totally different. Um, you guys remember Y2K? <laughs> Y2K? You remember? We, we, thought, we thought that when the clock struck midnight for the year 2000, we thought our lights were going to go off and that we were all going to have to be survivalists, right? We all thought... People, people were putting food in their basements and people were, were storing water. Uh, people, people here, uh, maybe not here in Taylor County, but people in Greene County, they dug bunkers. They dug bunkers. I can say that because I live in Greene County. Like, don't give me that easy stuff. I live in... People, people, dig the, people, people thought we, we need to arm ourselves and buy food because the apocalypse is going to happen. And guess what happened when the clock struck midnight? Nothing. Literally, literally nothing. Nothing happened. Uh, same thing, same thing similar, similar with COVID. You guys remember the beginning of COVID? Like when everything shut down? We thought we were, we just thought that was it. Do you guys remember when we were, you would get a package from Amazon and you would, you would take a bleach thingy and you would wipe it off? Because you thought there's a virus on that package that will kill me as soon as it comes in the house. And do you remember that you would leave your package on the porch for like 48 hours? Because you, you thought, well, it'll, it'll, it's so deadly that the Amazon worker and the UPS man can bring it to me. But if I touch it, I'm dead. And if I leave it outside, the wind will blow the COVID off of it. Yeah, you thought it was going to be one thing and it was, it was not. Also had me thinking about prom. You think prom's going to be fun. It kind of isn't. You spend months. It's just like, I don't know. I don't know. Also had me thinking about baseball this week. Opening day was this week. Some of you are baseball people. There's one man over here. He'll go unnamed. But it had me thinking about baseball this week. And I was thinking about two things in particular. I was thinking about in, in baseball, you know, if you're a really good hitter, you're looking for that fastball. And if you're a really good pitcher, what do you give him? You give him the changeup. 
You show him two fastballs and your delivery looks exactly the same and your expectation is you're just sitting there waiting on it and then you get, you get the change up. But then I was also thinking this week, there's been a rules change in baseball. They put a pitch clock on and a lot of people fussed about this. Like the purists were like, don't change the game. We're, we're like two games in and what has everyone said about baseball? It's way better. The games are 30 minutes shorter. They're just moving. They're moving. I talked to a couple of purists this week and they're both like, yeah, I was afraid. I think it's like maybe infinitely better. Yeah, you think it's going to be one way and it turns out to be something else. Uh, one more. Well, actually, maybe a couple more. This is kind of fun, right? <laughs> you think it's going to be one way, but it's, it's something else. I, 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 wrote down, I wrote down the easy workouts at AbFit. Now, this is very niche, so you're just going to go there with me. So uh, Heather and I and some of the, some of the crew here, we, we go to the CrossFit gym in town called AbFit, and there's this trick that always happens. It always happens. And sometimes you'll just need to come with me. But it always happens. One of the things that Chad does is he'll, he'll put the programming up early. There's an app, and you can look and see what the workout's going to be. And without fail, Cody, am I right here? If you look at the workout and you think, this is, this is an easy one, what happens, Cody? It's not. It's not. You get destroyed. You get absolutely destroyed. I'll tell you something else that you think is going to be one way, and then you find out it's different. Children. Children, you think, you think you're going to have a baby and your life is going to be like everything's going to be. And then, and then it just gets, I mean, it is, but it gets torpedoed in ways that you could never have imagined, right? You're like, you know what we need to do? We need to have kids because then our life will be like perfect and complete. And then you're not wrong, but you're not right. It's not always bad, though. I was realizing that. Some, one of the, this is, if you noticed all the examples I gave you, they're fairly cynical. They're like, you think it's going to be good, and you find out it's like hard or bad or whatever. But, but there are some things that you think are going to be bad, and they end up being good, right? Like sushi. I hate sushi. This kid hates sushi. Can I tell you something, kid? You just wait. Sushi's coming for you. See, sushi sounds terrible, especially if you're a Central Kentuckian. If you grew up here and you ate fried foods your whole life, like if you, if you grew up on stewed green beans and new potatoes, and then someone comes along and says, you know what's really good? Raw fish on a piece of rice with nothing else. Everything in your body says no, no. And then, and then one day your city friend comes to your house and says, come to the city with me and, and says, I'm going to take you for lunch. And they're like, oh, great. This is wonderful. Where are we going? And they're like, well, we're going, we're going to the sushi place. And you're like, oh no. And then you finally, you finally have some and you think, well, that wasn't repulsive. And then you take your second piece of sushi. And you're like, I don't know. You know, this is not bad. You know? And then by your third piece of sushi, you're like, this is the only thing I ever want. Right? Same thing with Brussels sprouts. Yeah, we grew up, we grew up eating boiled Brussels sprouts. Like, what was wrong with people in the 80s and early 90s? They boiled them, and your house smelled interesting, and then you had a, you had a plate of interesting. 
soft, mushy. And then something happened in 2015. Heather and I have this theory that every year there's a new, like, sexy vegetable that happens in the restaurant world. Do y'all know that? Every year there's a new one, isn't there? But somewhere around 2015, people stopped boiling Brussels sprouts and they started roasting them or frying them and they would put something salty on them. And then, and then how, how many of you have ever gone and you're like, I don't even want the steak. All I want is the Brussels sprout. You just sit there. Yeah, you. That's the sound you make when you eat Brussels sprouts. That's the sound. That's it. Next time you listen closely to the people you're with, the next time you, they're going to be doing that. You know, another thing that you think is going to be bad, but oftentimes turns out good, hard conversations. You know, you're chicken out for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you know there's a conversation you need to have. You don't do it. You put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. And then you get into the middle of it one day, and you find out, oh, I wish I'd done that months ago. Just it settles things. Even if it's, even if it's hard in the moment, like you feel relieved and then you notice that something about a relationship changes over the course of months, like hard conversations we think are going to be terrible. We risk something and then it turns out to be okay. Well, I've, um, I've sort of mined this theme a little bit this morning because it's a consistent theme in the life of Jesus in the Gospels is that you think Jesus is going to be one thing and, you'll, and you find out that he's something else. Or you think Jesus is going to do one thing and you find out he's doing something else. It's a common theme that surrounds them. People get Jesus wrong all the time. And today is a classic case. So here's what I want to do. I want to read you a, a scripture and, um, from the Gospels. And it's, it's a classic Palm Sunday scripture. This is Jesus' triumphal entry. It goes like this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is why we read that passage to begin worship from Zechariah. This is the passage. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on them. And then a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We'll stop there. This is one of those passages where there's an expectation but the thing that's going to happen doesn't exactly meet the expectation. Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he comes on a donkey. And when Jesus comes riding on a donkey, the thing you have to understand is 
Uh, there's major messianic vibes in that, okay? And Jesus knew what he was doing. It's the reason we read that Zechariah passage. Everybody who was around Jesus at that moment would have known the passage from Zechariah, and they would have known that the Messiah is going to come to Jerusalem, and when he does, he's going to ride a donkey. And when Jesus chooses that donkey, he's telling them something that they would have been expecting, right? They would have had this formulation in their head, and so Jesus is in some ways coming into agreement with it, but we'll see in ways later in which he'll depart. People would have known. People would have known that passage was about the Messiah. And not only that, but people would have had expectations around the Messiah, around what he would do, how he would act, and what would happen. Especially when you're living in Israel, your your historic God-given home, and especially when your historic God-given home is being run by the Romans. So you have, to, you have to read this passage in, in, in the day that it was set. So you're a Jew, you're an Israeli, you're living in your God-given Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, you're David and Solomon. You're living in your home, the one that God gave you, the one that he pulled you out of Egypt so that you could have it. You're living in your home, but you're not in charge. The Romans are. And you have these passages from the prophets that say that one day there's going to be a Messiah who comes and sets things right. And so what you have in your head is one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to ride on a donkey. And then the next formulation you have is that he's going to save us from the Romans. He's going to finally get rid of all those guys who are taxing us and taking our land and trying to replace our culture. You'd assume a few things about the Messiah. The first thing you'd assume is that he's a warrior. You'd assume that he's a warrior. You'd assume that when Jesus sat on that donkey, you'd assume that he's coming to kick butt and take names. You'd assume that he's going to get some guns together at some point. You'd assume that he's going to rule with an iron rod. And not only would you assume that he's going to rule with an iron rod, you'd even have some Bible for it. You would. You would take Zechariah and you would put it with Psalm 2. The son is going to rule with an iron rod. These would have been the formulations in your head. You'd see Jesus coming to town and you'd think, all right, it's go time. Not only that, but when they took off their cloaks and when they cut the palm branches, what they're actually doing in many ways is they're hearkening back to a moment when less than 200 years ago, there was a man named Judas Maccabees who did come into Jerusalem and he drove all of the foreign oppressors and rulers out of the temple. And when Judas Maccabees did this, they cut palm branches and they waved them. It was like a victory celebration. By the way, Judas Maccabees means the hammer. That's what his name means. And so when Jesus shows up as a Messiah riding on a donkey, they're like, it's hammer time. It's hammer time. But, but here's what would really happen. We know the story. Jesus didn't come to be the hammer. Jesus came to actually be hammered. And so there's these expectations. You think it's going to be one way, and then it ends up being something really, really different. You know, all of Israel had been waiting for the fastball, but instead they got the change up. And so this morning, what I've come to tell you is that this is not your father's Messiah. Now, make no mistake, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not the one that anybody imagined, right? 
Uh, and even today, Jesus sometimes turns our expectations on their heads. And so I want to share with you today three very clear ways in which we see who Jesus really is in this passage. Three ways that Jesus reveals who he is. Uh, number one, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, if you're taking notes. Number two, Jesus is the true Savior. And number three, Jesus comes to carry our burdens. This is who Jesus is. Number one, he's the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When he came to town riding on the donkey, the donkey is a symbol of peace. If Jesus came to be the warlord, he would have ridden what? A horse. He would have ridden a horse. But instead, he comes riding a donkey, and this fulfills Zechariah's prophecy. Reese, if we could put up verse 10, chapter 9, verse 10. This is how you know, this is how you know that the symbol is not one of war, but one of peace. Look at what Zechariah says in verse 10. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from the sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It's clearly a prophecy about the Messiah, but it's a, it's a prophecy about the kind of Messiah he would be. Many people expected and wanted a hammer they wanted Judas Maccabees, but instead they get Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And we know when, when Jesus was alive, even just right after this, we know this expectation was alive because when Jesus was arrested, Pilate questions Jesus and says, you know what, I can find no fault in this guy. And he goes back to the crowds and he says, I'll tell you what, would you guys like to have Jesus or would you like to have Barabbas? And the crowd says, we want Barabbas. And here's who Barabbas was. Barabbas was a murderous revolutionary who wanted to overthrow the government. And the crowd says, we don't want Jesus because we think he's weak. What we want is we want Barabbas. And so when Jesus shows up here before that moment, we know what is in the hearts and minds of the people. They think that Jesus is coming to be the hammer. Instead, Jesus is going to get hammered. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Sometimes in this world, we assume that real power is might. Sometimes in this world, we assume that real power is force or that, or that real power comes on a war horse. In the middle of every significant city, in the square, uh, Brian Zahn says, there's always a guy on a horse. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you noticed that? You can go to any major city, especially around the world. Go to a major city around the world, and in the city square, almost every time, there will be some guy on a horse who was the conqueror. Uh, Jesus, Jesus banishes all of our ideas of that notion. He is the Prince of Peace. He doesn't ride a war horse. He rides a humble donkey. This kind of thing has captured our imagination. But in Jesus, we see that real power is meekness and real power is humility and real power is peace. And I know what some of us in the room are thinking because some of us here have read a little bit of Bible. Some of us are thinking, yeah, pastor, but what about, what about Revelation? What about Revelation chapter 19? Jesus is on a horse then. Jesus is going to ride a horse in Revelation, like when he comes back, Jesus will be on a horse. Uh, what about that moment when Jesus is on the white horse and he's got his robes dipped in blood? What about that? 
Well, here's what I would like to suggest to you this morning. I'll, I'll read just a, a bit of that passage to you because you're right. This is in Revelation. It says this, John said, Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there and its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire and on his head were many crowns and his name and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood and the title was the word of God. Who do you think that is? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. But here's what I would like to suggest to you this morning, that the blood that is on his robe is not the blood of his enemies and it's not the blood of anyone except his own blood. Jesus's victory is not in the life that he takes, but it is in the life that he lays down, which is his own. Jesus doesn't require death from his enemies. Instead, Jesus gives his life to his enemies. This is the power of God. And so we don't have a schizophrenic Jesus who once came peacefully and will one day come to wage war. We have a cohesive, seamless, unified, never-ending, never-changing Jesus who is humble and meek and lowly of heart, and he gains the victory by giving his life, never taking it. This is the gospel, and if you've never heard it, then you heard it this morning. This is the true gospel. This is, don't let anyone take Revelation and try to scare you with it. Don't let anyone, because they haven't read it yet. They haven't yet read it. Jesus is the word of God. Here's what I'd like you to consider. That blood on his robe, it's his own. Real power in this world, real power, it's the power of Jesus. A lot of times, this world is obsessed with might and guns and Washington, but I just have to say it again. Real power is humble, peaceful, meek, and gentle. Humble, peaceful, meek, and gentle. Here's another thing I'd like you to consider. In In a few hundred years, no one will remember the names of any of the generals. No one will. Can I tell you something even crazier than that? Go a few hundred years past that. Give it five or six hundred years. Do you know what most people living will know about any of the presidents in America right now? Nothing. They'll all be forgotten. They'll all be forgotten. Of course, Everyone who's important in history, their names will be archived somewhere and historians will care about them. But I just want you to know, the generals and the leaders and the presidents and the warriors and the kings of this world, they're all going to be forgotten. Every single one of them. And in the millennium, not only will their names be forgotten, but their ways will be forgotten. This is what you nearly need to know. In the millennial reign of Jesus, not only will their names be forgotten, but their ways will be forgotten. But can I tell you a name that will never be forgotten? Jesus of Nazareth, lowly of heart, gentle and kind. That is the name that will never be forgotten because that's real power. And those are the ways that will never be forgotten because those are lasting and true ways. Number one, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Number two, Jesus is the true and saving Messiah. In the text, the crowd shouts, Hosanna. 
And uh, here's what Hosanna means. It means something like this. It means something like save us. And there's a really cool little symmetry here in the text. The word Hosanna means save us. It means save us. But Jesus' own name means Savior. And so the root word of Hosanna and even the root word of Jesus' own name, they're similar root words. They mean Savior. So there's this weird mirror symmetry that's happening. The crowd is shouting, save us. And of course, they're shouting it to the person whose name is Savior. It's really a beautiful thing. Now, when the crowd shouts, save us, they're really hoping to be saved from Rome. That's the expectation. They're looking for a way out from their Roman overlords. But Jesus came to work in ways that few could imagine. And he came to work on things that few could imagine. Uh, Remember that moment in Mark 2 when they bring a lame man, when they tear the roof off the house and they lower a lame man into Jesus? Jesus can clearly see that that the guy can't walk. And what does Jesus say to the guy who can't walk? Son, your sins are forgiven. It's really interesting that Jesus doesn't say, hey, you have like a leg problem. Uh, Jesus goes past the leg problem and goes right to a sin issue, which is like, what? And what's really interesting is in the Mark text, when Jesus does this, people in the room are like surprised and offended. And here's what they say. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, knowing what was in their heart, says, well, what's easier to say? Get up or your sins are forgiven. But so that you know I have power, you should get up. And he does, right? Jesus came to save us in ways we never imagined, but also from things we didn't imagine. And what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about our need to be forgiven from our sin. And here's why I just want to say a couple of things about sin. You know, today, Uh, Many in our culture would have us believe that we hardly need to be forgiven. It's becoming more and more common. Like one of the prevailing cultural narratives is is that you hardly need to be forgiven. And it it shows up kind of like this, you know, uh, pastor, everybody's story is valid. Uh, Everyone's truth is their truth. Uh, Everyone's Everyone's direction is their direction. And so you really, you, you can't judge someone's truth. You, you can't judge someone's story. You, 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 you shouldn't do that, you know? And, and what we end up with is a, a narrative where, where we begin to believe that we hardly need to be forgiven. That everyone's actions are justified based upon their truth. Or number two, slightly different, even when we do acknowledge that things are amiss, or that things in our lives need repair, so often our solutions splinter into a couple different directions. I, I want to share those with you just for a minute. Like if, if, if you do see that things are kind of like messed up and that we need repair, like one of the ways that you might look for the repair is you just look for a personal savior. Here's what I mean by that. You start to look inside. One of the cultural narratives right now is just, just look inside. More introspection. All I have to do is look inside, like dig in, go deeper, double down, live your truth, live your truth. That's one of the narratives. Or or hold an intention and manifest it in the world. You know, if something's wrong, you just need to hold an intention and manifest it in the world. Maybe that's not your path. The other path that our culture offers us is something like this. 
something I call look for another guru. So rather than looking inside, you look outside, right? Look for another guru. Find, find yourself someone to give you the secrets. Endless self-improvement. Instagram is nothing but endless self-improvement. And the, and the self-improvement memes will ruin your life. I'm here to tell you, will ruin your life. Another guru. Endless secrets. Endless self-improvement. Another retreat. A bit of mysticism. A new diet. A new way to start the day. A new way to budget. Just organize your life better. You know? You're screwed up. What you need to do, John, is you just need to start your life better. Start your day better in the morning. Have a routine, man. Come on. Put it together. And so we either look on the inside or we begin to look on the outside. And one of the things that culture wants to do is it wants us to look anywhere in the world except for Jesus. And here's what you need to know this morning. Jesus is the true savior who can truly save you from the things you truly need saving from. And here's what I want to say about introspection. It has a place. And here's what I want to say about looking outside to teachers and people with wisdom. It can be helpful. There'll be a day in your life where you need some help from the outside. But here's what I want you to know at the foundation. What everyone in this room needs is Jesus and you need him to save you. And you need him to save you from sin. That's what you need him to save you from. He's the true Savior. Here's what I want you to know, church. Everybody in this room is in deep water and we need somebody to reach in and pull us out. I want you to think about Peter when he was sinking and his Savior reached in and pulled him out. That's everybody in the room. No one walks on water except for Jesus. Everybody sinks and you need somebody to pull you out. And here's what I want everybody in the church to know this morning. Jesus Christ is the true source. There is no other guru. Every other guru will lead you astray. Some of us in the room need saving today. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ is a savior. He's a sa he, is, he is a saving person. He will save anyone. He doesn't save good people. He saves people who cry out his name. He doesn't save people who get their life together first. Here's what I want you to know this morning if you need saving. You do not have to get your life together first. You don't have to quit smoking dope. You don't have to quit doing the things you do. You don't have to quit going where you go. You just have to cry out his name. You have to acknowledge that you need someone that is not yourself to help you with things you have no control over and he will pull you out of deep water. He is a savior. He's the prince of peace and he's the true Hosanna he is a real savior. And he's not always saving us from the things we think we need saved from at first. Everybody in this story thought they needed saved from Rome. Jesus never mentions it. It's the darndest thing. He never mentions it. Oftentimes the work of God is pointed at places in our life that we are unaware of in the moment. Jesus wants to save you. Thank God to preach in... Done gone to preaching. But then number three, Jesus is a burden carrier. I can't get away from this idea that Jesus comes to down riding on a donkey. There's all kinds of Old Testament mirrors. We read one from Zechariah. I could give you like 10 more. We won't. But there's this one from the New Testament that's been on my mind all week long. And it's a story from Jesus. 
So this is a story that Jesus tells. He tells this story about this guy who's out on the road. He gets, he gets beat up by robbers. And everybody walks past him. But then this Samaritan comes. And Jesus says very specifically that the Samaritan takes the poor man who's beat to within an inch of his life. And he says that he put him on his donkey. And so there's just this picture that I can't get away from this, this morning and all week. And it has to do with has to do with this. Donkeys are beasts of burdens. They, they carry stuff for you. And I can't help that to imagine that when Jesus comes to Jerusalem riding on a donkey, part of what Jesus was saying is that he comes in peace and he comes to save, but, but he also comes to carry burdens. And I know some of us in the room probably would read the passage and go, well, okay, pastor, your interpretation is a little bit poetic this morning. So... <laughs> It is. I don't care. I, I think it's pretty great. Jesus comes to carry burdens. Here's what I want everybody in the room to hear this morning. Jesus wants to carry your heaviest weights. Let me tell you some truth this morning. The world will put burdens on you. Like you live life, you're going to get some heavy weights put on you. The world has a way of making life heavy. And then not only that, not only this world, but religion as well. Let me just, let me just read a couple verses from the Gospels, and this is from Jesus himself. It says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you have to be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And he's talking about religion, and he's talking about religious leaders. Here's what I want you to know this morning. like The world will put burdens on you. Sin will put burdens on you. And oftentimes, like religion will put burdens on you. And Jesus says that the, the leaders of those religions, they won't even lift a finger to help. And Jesus, Jesus says this because he carries people's burdens. That's who he is. He comes to us riding on a donkey. The world has an expectation that leadership means being served. The world has an expectation that power means being far from the poor and the needy. Have you ever noticed that in this world, the richer you get, the further from the poor you are? There's a reason why the richest neighborhoods have gates. Keep the riffraff out. There's a reason why the CEO sits at the top of the building in the corner office. Away from everything uncomfortable. This world says that importance leads to being honored. But the Bible shows us that Jesus comes to lift heavy burdens. That Jesus comes to serve rather than to be served. And Jesus comes to honor and to protect the lowest, the least, and the needy. He tells this story. There's this moment that happens in the Gospels. It's really beautiful. This woman breaks into the boy's club with Jesus and she pours out expensive oil on the feet of Jesus. She pours out 
50 or $60,000 worth of expensive oil onto Jesus. And some of the boys who were there, some of the boys who were there who are religiously minded, they say, oh, this shouldn't have been done. It could have been used for the poor. And Jesus, knowing what's in their hearts, turns to them and he says, you'll always have the poor with you. But he doesn't just say that. He says, what she's done is beautiful and she'll be remembered, and he uses this word, she'll be honored. The very people, the very people that this world doesn't want to honor, Jesus receives and honors. Jesus says it's better to serve than to be served. Jesus is a burden carrier. He is the mule of heaven. That's who Jesus is. He's the mule of heaven. And so what I would say to the church is this morning, lay all of your burdens on him. Cast all of your cares. That's what, that's, what, that's what the New Testament says to us in a couple different places. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. Cast every one of your anxieties on the Lord. Lay upon him every one of your burdens, every addiction. There's a couple hundred people here this morning in this room. There'll be a few hundred more coming later. Here's what I know about this church. There are people here who are addicted. And I know that, not because even you've told me, I just know that just the sociology of this many numbers. Uh, there are people in the room right now who are addicted. Uh, there are people here who are addicted to substances, to pills, to lifestyles, to spending. There are people here, we're just addicted. That's what we do. We, we, just, we, just, we just do. And you don't know what to do. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Lay those burdens on Jesus. Lay them on him. And some of us here are struggling financially. Some of us here are struggling financially. Uh, You have too much month and not enough money. And here's what I want to tell you. Lay your burdens on Jesus. He cares for you. He cares for you. And there, there are some of us here who have relationships that are fractured. Some of us here have marriages that are that are hanging by the tiniest thread. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Lay your burdens on Jesus. Uh, And some of us here are, are not just burdened with with money or with marriage or addiction, but some of us here are just burdened with sadness and disappointment. Just like the sadness and disappointment that comes from life. And some of us here have experienced like real trauma and real pain, like something really big. And it's got like emotional resonance that won't go away. And here's what I want to tell you this morning. Lay it on Jesus. But there's another kind of sadness too. And it's it's just the death by paper cuts. It wasn't that anything massive happened to you. It's just that a zillion little things have happened to you. And can I tell you what? If you you get enough paper cuts, you'll bleed out. Uh, You don't need need one big mortal wound right through the heart. You could could just get cut a thousand times on your wrist and you will bleed out from paper. The little things. And here's what I want to tell you. Jesus wants to carry burdens. That's who he is. So today, church, we need to open our hearts to Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He wants to rule over every battle and every anxiety and every fear that you have. But more than that even, Jesus wants to teach us to be like him and to extend his peace into the world. He wants wants to teach us that we don't fight fire with fire, but we, there's another way. There's a subversive way in God's kingdom. It's the, he's the Prince of Peace. Open your hearts to Jesus. Number two, Jesus is a Savior. 
Uh, He saves from sin. He saves from the things you and I cannot control. He say, and all you have to do is cry out to him. And, and here's what the Bible says about God's forgiveness. It's as far as the east is from the west. Uh, when you cry out to Jesus, the Bible says that, that if you do, he will remember your sin no more. Like God will forget it. Man, some of us in the room need to have our sins forgotten. What a day, huh? Do you remember the day that your sins were forgotten? What a tremendous feeling. I so loved last week when Emily talked about meeting Jesus as a young girl, and she said she was walking out of the church, and she felt like she was floating, and she tells her mom as a nine-year-old girl, Mom, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm levitating. And her mom says to her, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, can I tell you what that feeling is? Let me tell you what that feeling is. That feeling is having your sins forgotten by God. That feeling is having the one person who could judge you forget that there was even a need to and to be embraced by God. Jesus is the true Savior. He saves us not just from what we think we need, not just the Romans in our life that we think we need free from, but Jesus goes all the way to the bottom to the things that we didn't see and didn't know, and he removes this. And then finally, open your hearts to Jesus Because he's a burden carrier. He's the mule of heaven. You can lay anything upon him. All of your cares, all your anxieties, all your financial troubles, all of your wrecked marriages, all of our addictions, all of the things that don't work, we can lay them upon Jesus. Amen? Amen. Why don't you do this this morning? Why don't you stand? If you're on the worship band, come on up. We're going to sing one more time. Because it's what we do. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.